Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels. This is John Benzik from VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you're in a sea of self-doubt. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to our guest, Lisa Lavin. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Answer Innovation, developer of Pet Chats. It's a device that allows you to see and talk with your pet remotely via a screen that's attached to a wall or a stand in your house where your pet is while you're away. It also dispenses a little treat for your pet, so it's really cool. Answer Innovation is a technology company developing internet-based software and hardware to enhance remote interaction. Answer's vision is to connect the disconnected, focusing on market segments where remote connection is difficult or impossible. In addition to pet chats, future markets include the aging adult and dependent child markets. Lisa has more than 20 years of senior leadership experience building new businesses and commercializing healthcare and animal care products and services within startup and Fortune 100 companies. To learn more about Pet Chats, visit PetChats.com. Lisa, thank you for being here and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. My pleasure, John. Thank you for inviting me. It is such a thrill for me. So Lisa, within this podcast, there are three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about your company for our listeners. The second part is what I call Tell Me How, where we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help move them forward. And the final part is the let's get personal component where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. Lisa, it's time to rock and roll. Are you ready for the interview? Let's do it. Great. Give me the basics. So Lisa, number one, as you heard, I provided an introduction about you and your company, but in your own words, describe your company, its product or the product scope, and what makes it so unique among your customers. Well, what we're developing, and you did a great summary, but what we have is we have a platform, a rinse and repeat platform that can be leveraged uh, for a number of different market verticals. But when you look from a high level perspective, we're, we're developing technologies that enable me to be there from anywhere. In other words, an internet of things for those who are technology challenged. So here's the deal. Um, before Pet Chats, I could not call my pet and be able to physically interact with my pet from anywhere in the world. Uh, before our products, let's say for our future, um, we're talking about the ability to make sure that my mom has taken the right medication at the right time, which solves for an over $300 billion issue of adverse drug events and medication noncompliance that we have in our country. Um, we're, what we're doing is we're taking technology that's been leveraged, you know, if you, if you compare us to Skype, 
but we now are taking it to the next level. This is a platform that is an auto answer platform, meaning that the other person on the other end does not have to know how to operate a computer or doesn't have to have a smartphone, doesn't need to have Skype open or FaceTime available. This is a mechanism that allows me to interact with hands-free on the other end. Now, we're using that right now with pet chats, and, 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 but what's also interesting to us is this auto-answer uh, interface is actually being used even in a couple of hospitals where they have you know, uh, grandmothers and mothers that are not able to uh, answer a phone or be able to work a computer, and family members can call them in the hospital and be able to interact with them remotely. So this platform that we're developed, that we have developed, um, is, is our, the value is already being seen in other market segments. So you must be beside yourself about how excited you are about this product. It is so fantastic. Give us the genesis or the story of how the idea came to being. Give us some more details on that experience. Yeah, absolutely. So it was really, it's all about the serendipitous lunch that I had with actually the world's number one medical device inventor, Dr. Mark Kroll. Uh, Dr. Kroll was the former chief technical officer of St. Jude Medical here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Um, and uh, like I said, with over 350 patents to his name, a really smart guy. And I'd known him for a number of years. And we were just having lunch together. And, you know, just as an aside, I had been for a number of years kind of just noodling around looking for that one opportunity that I wanted to uh, do myself. I had been involved in other startups. I'm interested in being an entrepreneur. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs wanting to, to do something but looking for just that right opportunity. So we're having lunch and I sit there and, I, and this question pops in my head. Uh, so Mark, do you have a, a patent burning a hole in your back pocket? And he looks at me funny, he says, I've, I've never been asked that question. And I thought to myself, well, that's stupid. And he begins to tell me about this, these number of patents that he had around this pet phone. Now, I have a veterinary medicine background. So I've been doing animal care products. I've been doing health care products. Um, I've been doing global business development. So I have all of this as a knowledge base in my background. And all of a sudden, I start thinking to myself, oh, my goodness. We have a rinse and repeat platform, a platform that we can um, leverage for lots of different market segments. And we also have an opportunity for a razor, razor blade business model with revenue coming from both the device as well as consumables inside the device. So I said, Mark, give me a month. I want to try to, you know, I, I need to research this. And so for the next month, I started building a business plan just for the, the sheer purpose of trying to poke holes into this. And I did my own focus panels, I did my own industry research, I started putting together this plan, and I will tell you, I couldn't poke holes into this idea. So I went back to have another meeting with Mark. I said, this is what I think. I showed him my plan, and uh, we agreed to found this company together with he and his son and myself. And so that was in 2011, and since that time, we have come a long way uh, developing lots of intellectual property uh, products. We just actually started marketing our first product three weeks ago, and I'm very pleased to say 
that is absolutely exceeding our expectations and sales are through the roof. Wow, fantastic. When you first wrote that business plan, was it clearly stated in that plan that your first entry would be with the pet product? It is. We, you know, it was the lowest hanging fruit. If you consider the fact that we already had at that time three issued patents, we now have four issued patents, that there was no regulatory barriers to this product and there was such a huge demand. I mean, you look, you think about it, you know, when you look at this market space, 65% of households in the United States own a pet and up to 90% of them are pet parents, meaning these people have positioned their pet as part of the family. And 51% of pet parents have to leave their pet home alone during the day. Huge market segment of which we spent in excess of $60 billion on our pets just last year alone. How many employees do you have? Uh, six, including myself right now. We have engineering, we have customer care, and we have marketing in-house. Those are the core of, of our being. And you said earlier that you recently launched was that your first product? Um, yeah, I can tell you a little bit of a story around that. We actually, you know, I come from a background of, of really doing diligent voice of customer research and trying to do things in a methodical, you know, uh, as conservative way possible that an entrepreneur can be. So we did a test launch of Pet Chats 1.0 in, at the end of 2014, we put about a thousand units out there and then we, we waited and we watched and we listened. We learned a lot about our product, what, what customers liked, what they didn't like, and we learned a lot about our channel and we learned a lot about what works from a marketing perspective and what doesn't work. So in 2015, we spent that whole year in redevelopment. We refined our product, we refined our strategies, we refined our, our business partnerships, and then in the beginning of 2016, we started rolling out and introducing our new products. Matter of fact, we, we kind of introduced Pet Chats HD and Paw Call at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas and actually ended up being on the front page of the Wall Street Journal as one of the, the best in tech at the Consumer Electronics Show, which was absolutely astounding. So what we just started to do three weeks ago is we actually just turned on the marketing gas, meaning that we just started marketing. And within three weeks, we are already 500, that's probably more than that, it's probably a thousand percent um, over previous month sales um, and it is growing. I look in my inbox and every five minutes I see more sales. It's just amazing. Lisa, that's so tremendous. And as you know, as you alluded to earlier, most new entrepreneurs go into business with a set of assumptions, and many of those assumptions prove to be different from what they expected, thereby making them scramble to make changes in order to survive. It sounded like you sort of worked that through very smartly starting in 2014. That is so great. Now, Regarding your product's uniqueness and working through those sets of assumptions and getting voice of the consumer, tell us more about what you learned during those consumer testing periods. Uh, you know, a couple of things. First of all, uh, on, the, on the market side, we had assumed um, in the beginning that, that this was really going to be a bricks and mortar store play meaning that the channel was going to be, we're going to try to get Pet Chats on shelf in as many stores as possible. 
And what we learned in our testing process is that our particular product um, is, is really very, um, now I'll step back. The, the market that is most attracted to our product is the largest pet owning population um, in the United States, which is millennials. And we also learned that millennials are buying a large percentage and more and more every day of their products online via e-commerce. And that actually very few of our sales were coming from those bricks and mortar stores. And so it became very clear during our testing process that, that number one, e-commerce was really the best play for us and that we needed to market direct to consumer. Because when our products were sitting on shelf, not only were they not moving, but the onus of creating consumer awareness and product pull was still on us, the manufacturer. Why would we give away 50 points of our margin to, um, to a channel that's, that's not really actively selling our product? So our channel is direct to consumer uh, via e-commerce. So we're selling right now at PetChats.com, Amazon.com, and BestBuy.com. Tell me how. So Lisa, here we are in the tell me how segment of the podcast where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Let's talk about raising capital. Did you raise capital for the company? Yes, we did. And let's get into some real specifics here if we can. How did you raise capital? Maybe some of those early, early steps well, first, I'm, I would like to say that uh, people told me in the very beginning, Lisa, it's going to take you twice as much money and twice as much time to be able to do what you want to do. And I looked at them and I, I thought, oh, you guys, you guys, you just don't know what you're talking about. That You're talking about me. I will, of course, take less time than everybody else because I'm just a super high achiever. And I will tell you, oh, no, for me, it was three times as much money and three t times as much time. Oh, my goodness sakes, the lessons that I've learned. Um, so we learned very early on that, um, you know, this is this is about angel investors. And there there is a great population, a great community of angel investors here in Minnesota and in the surrounding Midwest community. Um, but I would say that 99% of our investment has come from the Minnesota Angel community. We've done three rounds. We've raised over $3 million to support both our product development as well as now our marketing efforts. So, Lisa, when you reached out to that community, how did you identify who to talk to? And when you did meet with them, how did you present to them? Oh, that's a great question. Um, there's a lot of answers I could say to this. Um, I'll say a couple of things. I started using a shotgun. You know, I just, I'd talk to anybody and everybody about our business, about our product. And frankly, you know, every single day as an entrepreneur, you are always, you've got to have that 30 second elevator pitch ready to go so people understand what your company is all about. Um, but having said that, um, I learned over um, a period of a couple of years that you really have to understand who your investor is. Um, one of the disadvantages that we had and still have to this day is that our first product is for pet parents, right? Well, guess what? 80% of pet parents are female. Well, guess what? Another factor that played against us is that 90% or more of angel investors are men. 
what that means is, is that uh, the value proposition of with our first product, Pet Chats, just wasn't as compelling to men, our angel investors, as it would be uh, to women. So that was a barrier that we had to get over quite quickly. Yeah, and so when you met with them, tell us a little bit about that. Did you have a presentation deck? And if you can recall, what were the main topics in that presentation deck? Right. So, um, yes, we absolutely did have a deck. Um, I And actually, I recommend having a brief that's maybe about five slides long that you can share with anybody and anybody uh, that you don't, and you don't have a whole lot of confidential information. As a matter of fact, I would recommend no confidential information in that brief um, so that if it does get out there, um, you're not compromised. And then I have a full deck that is confidential. And then, of course, we had our uh, full comprehensive business plan and, and private placement memorandum that we could share with really serious investors. Um, I learned, and this is, you, you have to pitch and pitch and pitch and learn from every single investor and the feedback that they give you to help refine and perfect your, your pitch, both the deck as well as your pitch ability, if you will. Um, always ask for feedback. I always did. I always got great feedback of what they liked, what they didn't like about the opportunity. Why are they investing? Why are they not investing? Um, you know, and most of the time they're saying no to you. Um, so there's lots of lessons to be learned in that as well. Lisa, is there a key or was there a key for you to raising capital? You know, um, I learned um, fairly early on in the capital raise process that investors are investing in two key things. They're investing in the jockey and they're investing in the horse. Of course, the horse is the business opportunity. It's the business plan. And the jockey is the leadership. And they have to believe in both. But it really comes down to those two things. Now, it's it, yes, do, you, do they believe in the jockey, meaning the CEO, but also the people behind the CEO, um, as well as the plan? And I, I'd just like to say that one of the things that has um, you know, helped me along the way is surrounding myself with people that are much smarter than myself. Um, we put together an amazing board of directors. And the, the purpose of that was to not only help me sell so people understood and had a higher level of confidence that, hey, we had the right leadership, the right brains in place to, to actually execute on this plan, um, but also that I had the right mentors in the right areas of expertise that could teach me along the way and answer the questions that I had on a day-to-day -day basis. Lisa, was that the first time you've gone out and raised money yourself for an independent business? Yes, and I'll say that with the caveat that I was involved with another startup opportunity of where I was second in command. And I was involved in that capital raise process with that company as well. So I wasn't coming into this totally cold or blind. I did understand uh, the mechanism behind it and how to do it um, and, you know, some of the wherewithals. But um, this was really, this is where the rubber hit the road. This was, this was my business. This was a company that I was uh, uh, building with a very strong board. And so, yes, it was the first time I was solely responsible. Lisa, as you can imagine, a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, wannabe entrepreneurs, do not launch a business mainly because they are very reluctant to go out and ask friends and family or whoever for money to launch a business. 
were you reluctant to go to these people as the lead person in this business and describe what you felt? Right. Uh, well, let me first say that my advice to any entrepreneur is if you can bootstrap it as much as you can without raising capital, do it um, and get as far as you can because it just makes it easier to sell. The further along that you can be, that you can both prove that um, this this business is real, the market is real, that it's it's winnable based on your strategy and it's worth it based on the financials and the market. Um, the more you can prove that and the, prove that that dog hunts uh, before you go out and try to raise money, the better you're off you'll be and the more successful you will be. Um, you know, the cool thing about um, the, my co-founders is that they had um, just a great uh, bucket of potential investors and contacts that they could connect me with and they did that for for me. And so I would say the whole first round and a, a good portion of the second round was from their connections because they've worked and lived in that startup space for many years. Um, and that really proved to be just a, a wonderful thing, not only from the intellectual property and having those partners for that purpose, but also the help with uh, raising capital. You talked a little bit about the challenges or the rejections or the no's that you received in a number of your presentations, which is very, very common, as you know. What were the top reasons for rejection early on? You know, I would say it's kind of what I alluded to earlier, is that, they, you know, the, the male investor who is not a pet parent did not get it. I mean, they were really excited about our platform and the fact that we had this, you know, this next product line, the medication management um, you know, they were really excited about that, but they just didn't get the value of Pet Chats and they just didn't see that this would be something that would really sell. Um, you know, you kind of have to understand uh, the pet parent mentality is that when I'm away from my pet during the day, I have anxiety and so does my pet and I worry about them. And if I had the ability, which I do now, to be able to call and check in and interact and give them just a little bit of fun and stimulation during the day, I alleviate my separation anxiety and my worry and I feel a lot better during the day and so does my pet. Um, so it, it was really that. It was really all about they just didn't get the value proposition of our first product, Pet Chats. A lot of entrepreneurs struggle with going forward because they don't know how to find a manufacturer. How did you go about producing the Pet Chats device? Um, great question. I would tell you that I, I did extensive research, find, you know, looking at manufacturers both offshore as well as onshore. Because um, we've got, you know, there's really, you've got all of the components, you've got the circuit board. Essentially, we have developed a little computer. And then you need assembly. You need order fulfillment, supply chain, you know, partners, and you could look at getting them all separate. You could look at trying to do it in-house, which is really difficult to begin with and be able to scale up, um, or you find a partner that can do it all. Interesting to, a story around this is, is I was speaking at an entrepreneurial event here in town, and uh, it was a panel, and uh, somebody stood up way in the back of the room and says, are, are you looking for a manufacturer? And I said, well, well yes. And she said, well, would you be interested in a complete turnkey solution and where we carry your inventory? 
I went, well, yes. And so that's what ended up happening. And what's lovely is, is we have become a company that has developed over 20 different partnerships with Minnesota companies, you know, really focusing on and growing Minnesota business. So our manufacturer is right here in Minnesota. Our treat manufacturers here in Minnesota, our scent products are manufactured here. Um, all of our engineering is done in Minnesota. So we're just, uh, um, we're very, very lucky to have identified this manufacturer right here in, in our hometown. That is absolutely fantastic. Lisa, I'm curious about having a company such as yours that is, it has components of internet-based as well as software and hardware. Now, that complicates things a little bit, at least from my perception in making a business work is it more complicated? Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, this is one of the things very early on, if you would have told me it was going to be this complicated, I might have shied away. You know, it, it in and of itself, you know, developing the hardware um, is hard. I would say the then even more difficult is the software. We're creating brand new technology. We've essentially, what we've done is recreated Skype. Because remember, it has to be auto-answered. We have to do things completely different, and it's two-way audio, two-way video, plus remotely controlling a device on the other end. So it's Skype on steroids, if you will. But now, um, on top of that, we've had to develop a cloud infrastructure that can support our customers globally. All right? Think about that and the infrastructure that was required from a technology standpoint. So, um, yeah, this has been exceptionally complex. Not something that somebody could easily copy. I believe it. Let's stick on the manufacturing topic a little bit. Because we're talking to aspiring entrepreneurs that are considering getting into a, a physical product-based business, were there any problems that you experienced in working with your manufacturer that could be helpful for aspiring entrepreneurs to hear? Well, I will say it's not attributed to necessarily uh, the manufacturer themselves, but I would say that we have encountered um, more <laughs> problems or issues or hurdles to overcome than I could count. Um, and I, I won't, I know we don't have enough time to go through them all. <laughs> it's just you have to count on the fact that it's going to cost you three times as much money and it's going to take you three times the amount of time, both from a development standpoint as well as just scaling up in manufacturing. Um, this really speaks to, though, and I really need to make this point, um, your partner, your manufacturing partner is critical here. And the ability to be able to work through the issues together um, on so many different levels is just so important. Another reason to I would advocate for staying on shore as long as you possibly can. When you go offshore, the logistics become so that that much more difficult and complicated. What also happens is you, you put your intellectual property at risk um, and your lead times are tripled, quadrupled. Um, it is so much more complex when you're going offshore. Some may say that you can save a lot of money and that may be true. Um, but in my assessment, um, we were le it was less expensive for us to stay on shore. Lisa, let's talk about selling your product to retailers. It sounds like you don't do much of that now, but you did originally. Tell us about how you approached them and what sort of feedback you received. 
So we would approach them one-on-one -on -one as well as we went to a number of um, retail trade shows, a couple big national ones that uh, are all about pet products is, you know, Super Zoo in Las Vegas and Global Pet Expo. And this is where thousands of retailers are um, looking at thousands of, of product exhibitors and looking for those products that they would want to add to their portfolio in their store. You know, the cool thing about Pet Chats has always been is that we are this new, new product that is super exciting. Um, and we're so different. Um, and because we're new, because we're different, because we solve a problem that's never been solved before, um, you know, we always had retailers that were attracted to, to uh you know, wanting to sell our product from, you know, the big, huge, big box stores to even the little pet stores had interest. Um, and so, you know, the good news is we were able to test a lot of those things out to see what worked and what didn't work. And, you know, the bottom line that we came to, at least right now, um, at this stage in our, in our game, is that uh, e-commerce is the much bigger play for us. Let's talk about pricing, Lisa. How did you go about setting the price for the product? So there's there's bottom up and there's top down, and, and I'll and I'll explain that. Um, first of all, you know, like I said before, I'm a voice of customer, voice of consumer driven uh, business person, and so you know, we we did our market research, quantitative market research, to see what kind of what was the price tolerance of something like this. And what did they equate it to? And what we learned early on is that people saw this as like an iPhone for their dog or their cat because it works for both. And so when they when when you think about those like product categories, people were were you know saying, yeah, this would be in the category of three to five hundred dollars for spending like this. Um, you know, so we looked at that. The other thing, of course, is that bot you know the top down, meaning that. Okay, we have certain price constraints based on our cost of goods sold. So you have to make sure that you have enough margins um, in your pricing structure. Um, the, you know, the good news is is that we were able to hit a price point at least right now that is selling exceptionally well, and I'm surprised because yeah, I consider our price point to be a, a premium price point. It's certainly playing to the you know a, a household income that over maybe 75 or over. Um, and so, you know, because our price point right now is three seventy nine. Plus, we have accessories to that, but and we also have consumables that we're selling on top of that that add to that nice margin point for our business. Do you think your product mix is just perfect right now? Um, it is better than it was, and and we're certainly adding to it over time. I'd like to speak to one thing that we did add to the mix. One of the things that we learned when we when we launched Pet Chats 1.0 in late 2014, we learned from our customers that, boy, you know, I would love for my pet to be able to call me because I can call my pet all the time with Pet Chats. Um, so and and so we decided, you know what, um, and we're going to develop another accessory to Pet Chats called Paw Call, and Paw Call is this cute little button that looks just like pet chats but sits on the floor and I can schedule this to be in call mode and I can even schedule this to be in game mode so that my pet can actually call me and play a game in my absence and just by hitting the button they get treats it's a little blinking light game kind of thing and it's absolutely a hoot and oh by the way it's also protected by our patents 
And so we, we're having a whole lot of fun with that. That was just one of those things that we didn't plan on in the very beginning, um, but ended up to be just a stupendous addition to our product line. Lisa, I've launched a number of consumer product lines in my past based on some entrepreneurial endeavors. And I always received a variety of advice on product scope, product mix, that sort of thing. And it was always challenging for me to figure out what my product mix should be because it was so tempting to add this and to add that. And at the same time, you have more SKUs, you have more products out there, you get stuff sitting around too long. Whereas like the 80-20 rule, 20% of your what you offer is always delivering 80% of the, the higher performance. Do, do you have any challenges or do you perceive any challenges with regard to having too broad or too narrow of a mix? Well, I think we're in a really nice sweet spot right now regarding that. We've got our core product, of course, products that I would say was Pet Chats HD and Paw Call. And then we have those accessories that create value add, like a stand. If I don't want to mount Pet Chats on my wall in my home, I can use a stand. If I have a dog that's super, super aggressive um, and wanna, would you know, maybe be destructive toward Pet Chats, we have a guard. We have all of the consumables that go inside of Pet Chats, which is the treat products and the scent products. We have maybe, you know, a couple other things added in there, like a T-shirt and some other things that just, again, more value add and marketability to our product line. I would say more than anything, the thing for us was um, feature creep. And what I mean by that is when we're in the midst of product development, um, what, you know, it was so, e it would have been easy to add too many features to our product rather than let's stay focused. This is our design, what we decided our design was going to be. Stay focused, don't get off track. Because um, once you start getting into feature creep, then all of a sudden it's taking longer, it's a lot more expensive, and it may not be value add to your consumers. Lisa, let's talk about creating awareness and demand. Most startups have very small marketing budgets. How are you creating consumer awareness and demand for pet chats? Uh, very creatively, I will tell you that. You are absolutely spot on. We do not have a huge marketing budget. Um, but having said that, that was part of the key learning. Um, when we did our test launches, what are those marketing strategies that really work? Um, and I will tell you one of the most lovely things about our strategy is, is we're all about digital marketing. We're all about leveraging uh, social media and uh, media hits that think that pet chats and paw call are just the coolest thing. Now, I'll give you a case in point. Uh, right now, if you were to go on Facebook, and you look a couple at a couple of the bigger players. Uh, New York Magazine just yesterday uh, posted a, a video that they created about our product. And I just checked this morning, and it had over 400,000 views already and 85,000 shares. Um, another one um, has already that they launched a video that they created about six days ago. It has. I believe 26 million views 
um, and, and you know, it keeps growing on a day-to-day -day basis. That it's the virility. What you want to do is you want to be able to leverage social media and that digital platform to be able to create a viral message, whether is it a video, is it is it a, a meme, is it something, but how do you reach the millions around the world? Uh, social media can be a great friend. It also can be a really a big challenge, but uh, social media can be an awesome asset. Let's get personal. So Lisa, let's get personal on a few topics. It seems that 99 out of 100 people just talk about starting a business, but never start one. It's all show and no go. Starting a business is special and frankly, highly unusual. What motivates a person like you, Lisa Lavin, to stop just talking about launching a business and actually go out and start a business? Was it your destiny to start a business like Answer Innovation? Oh, that's a great question. Well, so uh, let me say this is that I, you know, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. I've always been entrepreneurial. I spent time in Fortune 100 companies trying to be an intrapreneur, if you will. Um, 3M was awesome, was one of those companies and they were awesome. They just, they put me on a little red pillow and they let me really try scratch that itch as best I could. Um, but it still wasn't the same as being a true entrepreneur. And you know, what, what I believe is, um, I do believe in destiny. I do believe that things happen for a reason. And it, it just so happens that in, in both business and personal circumstance, I was at a point in my life where there was really no other options. And I was, I was presented with this huge opportunity. And it became very clear to me um, that I was destined to start this business because it was such a perfect fit. Um, I think all of us have experienced those things in our lives where we're presented with opportunities and you go, wow, I, I have to do this. And that's where I was in my life at that time when I founded Answer Innovation. Lisa, what have been your biggest joys or what are you most proud of since being an entrepreneur? You know, three things really. Um, I, I, we, I love creating a new, new product, a product that hasn't existed before, a product that, that delights customers when they use it. I love creating disruptive technology, technology that doesn't exist, you know, again, solving for those things that have never been solved before. But I would also say, and probably most importantly, I, I love the creation and working with a group of people that are just as passionate about what we're doing as I am and working as a team accomplishing things that are just gall darn near impossible. I have, I can say, the most amazing team I've ever worked with, with in my entire career. These people are so dedicated, working long hours every single day, tirelessly going above and beyond the call of duty because we are all passionate about what we're doing. When you get an opportunity to do that, um, it's just sheer joy. What has been your biggest frustration in starting Answer Innovation? Well, I would probably say um, it's the time and money thing. You know, I, in the, when I said it took three times for me and three times as much money and three times as long as, as somebody else, um, or what we planned for, 
that's probably been the most frustrating things. I I am um, I'm the I'm a high you know high achiever. I really want to accomplish things. I I really want to win. Um, I you know and I I I love that you know accomplishing things as quickly as possible and given as long as sometimes things take and then it takes so much more money i think that has been just the most frustrating thing now having said that through this whole process um the lessons that i've learned from having to having things take longer the lessons i've learned for for having to manage cash so meticulously um and things taking so much more money than i had planned um has has really made me a much better business leader to where now today when i'm faced with really really hard things um it it doesn't throw me off you know off track like something used to um now when bad things happen now i understand that the next thing is really the best thing and it's it's just it's a i'm a much better business person because of it Lisa, many entrepreneurs, even seasoned and very successful and accomplished ones, such as yourself, experience self-doubt as they go along their entrepreneurial journey. How much self-doubt have you had, if any, and maybe what triggers it? (laughs) Uh, We don't have enough time to talk about all the times. But let me tell you about a little, um, I have a stone in my car. um, And it's, it's right there um, on my dash, and it has the word believe on it. Because especially in the very beginning, but also um, numerous times when I'm faced with big, huge barriers and it just doesn't seem like there's any way over it, what I really realize is that the only thing that I have is my faith. That the only thing that I can do is to believe. Um, you know, and that's, that's the life of an entrepreneur is, 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 are we doing the right thing? Um, are we going the right direction? Have we made the right decisions? Um, you know, there's self doubt that I think pervades every single entrepreneur's life. And, and really my answer to that is sometimes you just got to believe and, and, uh, it just takes faith. Lisa, starting a new business is very difficult, as you know. How has starting your own business changed you as a person, if at all? Um, I'm, I'm absolutely a new person. I am not the same person that I was back in 2011 when we founded Answer Innovation. Um, you know, it, you can't help but be changed by all of the trauma and the turmoil and the issues and the problems and the failures and uh, everything that you face on a day-to-day basis that seems like, I mean, there have been more days than not where it seems like everything is against you. There's nothing going for you. Um, and it's in those days when you just make it through and, and you realize that, oh, there's a reason why that all happened that way and really the next thing truly is the best thing. Um, I think I said earlier in the interview, with all that I've learned, um, over these years and all that I've been through, um, when I'm faced with problems today, it's a, I, I face them in a much different way than I faced them five years ago. I am not, it, it, it doesn't feel like I'm being derailed anymore. It feels like when I'm faced with a problem, I can approach it with, huh, 
well, that's interesting. There's a solution to this. We just have to find it. Versus before, five years ago, I would have been uh, very fearful and on edge and, and wondering, what the heck are we going to do? The sky is falling. So my perception of problems have changed immensely, and my ability to manage and face difficulties has evolved greatly. Related to my previous question, what have you learned most about yourself in starting a business like Answer? Well, I would, I would probably say my ability to handle stress and what I've learned about myself um, is just how much strength that I have. Um, you know, the fortitude that I, if when I am, I, you know, when I'm faith, I'm going to start over again. It really comes down to um, understanding the amount of fortitude that I have internally um, and my ability to be able to withstand um, great strife, um, great barriers, great challenges, and still overcome and be able to accomplish our goals. And, you know, I will also say, and I, like I said before, look, I, I'm not a one-person show. I am the product of all of the smart people around me. Um, I've always been dependent upon people around me, but now more than ever, I realize that um, I've got a huge community of supporters that I could call at any moment in time and they would be there helping, um, helping me troubleshoot, helping me find the right connections, helping me solve problems. And I think more than anything, um, that's one of the most important lessons that I've learned is to leverage my network, leverage those people that are smarter than me around me. Lisa, we're coming to the end of the podcast episode. And so I have two more questions for you. Who has been most influential to you in your life, either professionally or personally? Well, uh, you know, I will say that personally, my family has been most influential, um, you know, in loving me and supporting me through <laughs> many, many hard years. Um, and so I, will ha I have to say that is number one. Um, and number two, I have so many mentors that have changed me that have helped me, that have gone above and beyond um, to, at the drop of a hat, meet with me and console me, teach me. Um, one, one particular mentor who has been a mentor of mine for many, many years, who was one of my first mentors that actually helped me step out beyond myself and think and act entrepreneurially is uh, Marty Morfitt. Uh, Marty Morfitt was the former CEO of CNS Corporation, the Breathe Right Strip Company. She came on board and tripled that business and sold it to GlaxoSmithKline. And then, and then she took over uh, Airborne and took that company and did, you know, doubled the business or whatever she did and then sold off that business. She's just a been there, done that um, successful business person that has both the head and the heart. She taught me um, very early on that you need both and it's okay to have both and it's important to have both the head and the heart engaged in business and so um, for that I'm grateful to her. Finally Lisa did I miss any questions that you feel you'd like to provide answers to or do you have any closing pieces of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners? Uh, you just asked really really good question John so I, I don't think I could any, add anything um, you know, the, the most important advice just to reiterate is, you know, uh, number one, when bad things happen, 
just remember that there's a reason this thing happened and that the best thing is next. So the next thing is the best thing when bad things happen. Um, the second thing is to surround yourself with, with smarter people than yourself. Um, and step outside of your comfort zone and meet with new people and learn from those people. And then finally, number three, I guess I would just say sometimes when bad things happen and it just seems like all is, is lost, sometimes you just need to believe. And I encourage everybody, just believe. There's a reason why you're doing this. And if you had enough faith to start it, then you need to have enough gusto and guts to keep keep moving forward and the tenacity to not give up. Don't give up. Lisa, you've been a terrific guest today offering very helpful and valuable tidbits of advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on your success, for your courage, for starting a business, and for sharing your experiences with us. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, John. It was my pleasure. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business.